Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. So last week, if you remember the gospel story, it's the story of this woman who has been wronged and all day, every day, she goes around and she cries out to a judge to hear her case. She follows him wherever he goes and says, give me my justice, give me my justice. Now, in Jesus' day and age, there were no police to call if you were wronged. You had to go and find a judge that would take your case. In some ways, um, justice in Jesus' day and age was a little bit like a Judge Judy show. You had to convince Judge Judy that your case was worthy to be heard, and then they would go and they would hear it and they would litigate and to determine who was right and who was wrong. If a judge can be worn down, Jesus seems to be saying, by someone who is constantly crying out for justice, then surely, he says, God who is just will bring justice to the world. So waiting for God's deliverance and God's justice is one of those things that the first century Jews were waiting patiently for. Right? Israel has been declared to be God's people. God has made a covenant with the people of Israel and said, these people are set aside and they are my chosen ones. But if you read the story and the history of the Hebrew people, it's not doesn't really look like chosen people very often. They were the source of, of constant conflict, right? I mean, Israel sits in the middle of major trading routes between Africa and Europe and Asia, and they, it was a, a natural place that you want to control, so people are always defeat, coming to attack Israel so that they can own the trading routes. They're put into slavery, they're um, exiled into other countries. Like, their entire history has been one that looks more like defeat than victory, and yet they hold out this hope that they are the chosen people. And so one way in which Jews in the first century um, and leading up to the first century talked about justification and salvation was to talk about resurrection. Right? Resurrection was going to be the thing that God was going to do to, to, to redeem those who had been defeated, those who had been killed by, um, by, by God's adversaries. God was going to raise them from the dead. We get a little bit, a glimpse of this in um, a story in John's gospel when Lazarus' sisters call for Jesus to come and heal their brother and he dies before Jesus gets there. And they come up to him and they say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. And he's like, don't you know that I am resurrection and I am life? So resurrection was not a uniquely Christian ideal, something that just started after Jesus' resurrection. It was a hope that Israel had that there was a day that would come in which God would redeem those who had been God's chosen people and put God's enemies to rest. And the question that is being asked in last week's gospel and this week's gospel seems to be who is going to be included in the redeemed ones. 
Paul's language today in his letter gives a little bit of a hint in which he talks about his suffering. And now, suffering is not normally something that people talk about as a good thing until Christianity came along and suddenly we began to talk about suffering as a virtue. That in Jesus' day and age, it was common, more common to talk about life sort of more through a Joel Osteen lens. Good health and wealth are things that come from being favored by God, and poverty and illness are things that are punishments from God. And Jesus turns that on its head. Remember the story of the man who was born blind who came to Jesus to be healed, and people asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Right? So suffering prior to Jesus and prior to Christianity had more to do with God's disfavor and Paul is saying suffering is not a sign of exclusion from God's kingdom. So let's think about our justice in our day and age, right? There's some lawyers here and, you know, they know that that justice is about following the technicalities of the law. Was the letter of the law followed? Was the right procedure followed? We may know people who legally did the wrong thing, but morally, it may have been an understandable action, and the vice versa can be true. One of my absolute favorite movies that I always stop at to watch is A Few Good Men, right? This is, this is where Tom Cruise Uh, famously gets Jack Nicholson to say, you can't handle the truth, right? Because it's this question about do we want the law or do we want something else? St. Peter, when he wrote this letter, he talks about this idea about justice. He says, if you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. Let me say that again. Peter says, if you invoke the father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, then live in reverent fear. But don't we often talk about how we want justice to be impartial? Right? Think about the images that we use for justice in our own country. Lady Liberty, who is blind, who is simply there to judge the rightness or wrongness, the technicalities of the law. Peter seems to be saying to those who hear this call for a God to judge impartially is, Be careful what you wish for. If you really want God to judge us solely upon our technical adherence to the law, we might not like the response. We think that impartiality gives us a chance, one author says. If the game is rigged, we could be left out, but if God is being fair, then maybe we could be okay. But impartiality, he says, is a death sentence. If God were to be fair, as Peter says, and judge us according to our deeds, then no one would be found acceptable. Our self-centeredness, our pride, our jealousy, our betrayal, our anger, all of those things combine to make fairness and impartiality incredibly bad news. 
No wonder Peter says we should live in fear at a hope of a God who is impartial. Because the law is like this. In the story of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Peter and his grandfather have stolen fizzy, lift, fizzy lifting drink, and they think at the end that they have made it through the, um, they've made it through the production line, and they're going to get their free lifetime of chocolate. And Willy Wonka says, "Wrong, sir, wrong." Under Section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in this phototastic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges, and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc., facts mentis and kinema gloria countum, etc., etc., mimis bis punter decalum. It is all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sanitized. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That is impartiality. By the way, never show your, anybody the Johnny Depp version of the movie. Like, right? That's not the real one. Right? The law, the impartiality, is like us being held accountable for the time in which we stole the fizzy lifting drink, where the gospel is like getting to ride in the glass elevator to Wonka Land. Right? That's what we want. We don't want to be held accountable to our sins. We want other people to be held accountable for theirs. By all, and so, so turning now to the gospel reading today, by all normal and human accounts, the Pharisee is the good one in this story, right? The Pharisee goes to worship on a regular basis. He prays. He ties his money. He's generous. Like, like he's the hero, Right? But as Taylor Swift says, did you hear my convert narcissism I, describe as, I disguise as altruism, like some kind of congressman? It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Right? The Pharisee is the one who, who thinks that just being right on the outside is going to be a sign of his inclusion in the kingdom to come. That, that, that because he does all the right things on the outward, that he is going to be and the kingdom that is to come. But here is the tax collector. The tax collector is collecting taxes for the Romans, for, for the enemy of Israel. It would be like someone coming around and collecting taxes from us and then sending it to the Russians. And not only is the tax collector collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, but he's also stealing on top of that. The tax collector in today's gospel reading is clearly weighed down by his sins. He cries out to God to have mercy on him, a sinner. At the heart of that prayer is a prayer that is often prayed by Christians over the centuries called the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that you cannot tell by the outside who is justified and who is not. Right? That's a game we like to play. We like to look around and see who we are better than and who uh, we need to just kind of like get above a little bit. If we lay, weigh only on human standards, 
then we may, in fact, get it wrong. But what if we were willing to let go of our own power and ego and narcissism just enough to let it go to God? Say, God, you be the judge of this. Right? This is one of these things Jesus says, worry about the plank in your own eye. Don't worry about the speck in your neighbor's eye. What if we allow God to be God and God to be the judge and we just show grace where we can? Sometimes perfectly, sometimes imperfectly. Sometimes somebody might get grace that really honestly doesn't quite deserve it. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce, and be careful of reading that book around your spouse. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce imagines getting to heaven as riding on a bus. And all you have to do is you just have to get off the bus. But people get to the bus stop and they sit there and they go, oh my gosh, Ross is there? I don't want to spend, I don't want to get off there. I'm going to have to talk to Ross. And so you just stay on the bus or you sit there and you go, oh my gosh, Susan is there? I can't, oh no, I just can't do that. And so people refuse to get off the bus because of who they see there. And C.S. Lewis has great characters that are all the reasons why humans will refuse to get off the bus. I think one of the reasons Christians get bad names these days, and rightfully so, is that we are so worried that a right person might just happen to get on the bus. What's really so wrong if a wrong person gets in? Have we ever thought that maybe God is more concerned with healing and redemption and is less interested in being a gatekeeper and partialing out justice like we want God to partial out justice? What if God in Jesus Christ has partial justice in which he solely looks at us through the eyes of Jesus Christ and says, I love each and every one of you, and you are forgiven? may go against our sense of right and wrong, but I'd feel a whole lot easier that I might actually make it into the kingdom that would come. Amen.